Welcome to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Mark E. Murray. In Systems We Trust dives into all things systems and processes and interviews the professionals who are using them to change the landscape of their organizations every day. This podcast is fueled by Ditto, a team that is on a mission to eliminate team burnout by implementing systems and processes that streamline your business's growth. Are you ready for more clarity? Here we go. Welcome back to another episode of In Systems We Trust. My name is Mark Key. I'm your host. And today I'm going to be talking with Yaro Starek. Uh, Yaro is the co-founder of InboxDone.com, an email management company with a team of 40 plus individuals serving clients, including restaurant owners, venture capitalists, accountants, doctors, lawyers, real estate agents, car retailers, online coaches, and more. Welcome to the show, Yaro. Thank you for having me, Marky. Happy to be here. Likewise, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to take the time out and and chat. I love this topic so much. Your name says it all. I want to know more about the name and your background, but um, Inbox Zero is something I'm a huge fan of. It's so rewarding at the end of the day to you know look at your inbox, and I use Superhuman for mine, and it gives you a nice like graphic at the end of the day. It's a nice landscape or something, just and you just feel this sense of accomplishment. So I'm looking forward to chatting today because I definitely have lots of questions. But before we we get there let's start off at, at the top you know what's your story you know why did you you know get started you know you um, on inbox done where did you really get your get your start well the the, the yarrow story is long in terms of internet years um i got online when i was 18 in the late 1990s so the dot-com bubble was happening um very fun time to be 18 to be honest because the internet was kind of growing up i was figuring out what i want to do with my life um, i knew i wanted to be an entrepreneur i didn't know what kind of business at all thankfully when i enrolled in university they gave me a free internet account so i was able to access the internet kind of fell in love with the internet not so much studying at university i studied the internet way more i think um, which led to you know a few hobby websites uh, i had a website about a card game called magic the gathering which a lot of people might know if you're more geeky, um, kind of like poker, but with dragons and elves and goblins, but quite serious as a professional tournament series as well. Still going today, even more popular today than it was when I played. Uh, so that was a not a business as much as a side hustle. I made a bit of money from selling advertising. I had a little e-commerce store, but an amazing place to learn what it takes to kind of grow a, an internet business, grow a website. Um, after that, I while in university launched what i call my first guess real company uh, it was an essay and thesis editing service where i was kind of like the an agency model where i'd go out and hire contractors who were university professors academics very good at academic writing and editing and they provided like an editing service uh, to often students who had english as a second language um connected those two groups and that grew to become a, a full-time income after i graduated in my main company for a while and that company actually connects to what I do today with Inbox Done, even though it was so long ago, it was like almost 20 years ago now, but that company was the first time I ever outsourced my email. And it was so important to me because I was trying to build a business that was a lifestyle business, something that provided at least a full-time income, but more importantly, I could travel the world. I didn't have to work 12 hour days. Mm -hmm. Like I saw a lot of entrepreneurs doing, uh, and the last constraint to solve that issue was actually email um i actually have a 
a vivid memory of an experience back then where I was due to travel down to Sydney. I was born in Brisbane, Australia, and I had to attend a conference, but I found myself just being on my email the whole time because there was a lot of work coming in to keep my business running and a lot of time sensitive work. So after that experience, I said, I, I can never really travel and have the freedom I want unless I hand over email to someone else. But, you know, back then it wasn't really something people even considered doing. Even delegating anything was actually kind of new, like the idea of hiring freelancers online. You know, we didn't have Upwork and Fiverr and, and so many systems and tools and people freelancing. Email especially was not talked about by anyone. So I kind of like didn't know how to solve the problem other than just, hey, let's ask some friends and maybe they could take over this task and see if it works. So um, did that, hired a stay-at-home mom who just had her first baby, a friend of mine from university. Obviously, I had some criteria. I wanted good written English skills, attention to detail, emotional empathy. And I, I trained her up on my email. And it took a month or two. And part of that process was not just training her, but was actually training me to get comfortable with this idea that I'm not doing my email anymore. So we both went through mm -hmm. this handover process. But then, you know, a month or two later, I would wake up and, you know, roll over from bed, turn on the computer, open my inbox, and it was empty. And at first I thought something was wrong with my website, but then I realized that she'd gone in and cleared the inbox before me. Um, that was like a life-changing moment. And it also led to travels. Um, it led to starting an entire new business. I won't dive into that story, but that's how I got into blogging and podcasting what we're doing now. And I spent uh, you know, a decade building another business around there because I was able to initially create this freedom from the essay editing company. Uh, fast forward. So I, I went through, you know, running these other businesses to about 2016. So not too long ago now, you know, five, six years ago. Um, I'd always had in the back of my mind that the experience I went through with handing over email was incredible. Um, every company I ran from that period forward always had a person doing email, doing customer support. It was like the second most important thing for me to outsource after technical issues like building a website and because I couldn't do that at all. So for me, it was just a no brainer. But uh, I kept running into entrepreneurs. Like, for example, I was at a networking event in Vancouver, uh, four or five entrepreneurs around a table, and we're all talking about uh, problems. And the lady to my left says, I have to wake up in the morning and do my email. I then do email throughout the day. And then at night when I go home after I put the kids to sleep, I do more email. And it's all my life. And I turn to her and say, I actually don't do my email. Um, I might process a few once a month. And that's about it. And she looks at me like, how is that even possible? I, if I didn't deal with email, everything would fall apart. So I then explained to her, I have assistants yeah. who do it for me. And, you know, we, I train them and so on. And that was kind of like the final push to say, it's time to actually see if this is a business, see if we can provide the service. And, and that's where Inbox Done was at least born as a initial motivation to start the company. It wasn't registered as a domain name until 2017. And, and with my co-founder, we actually lo uh, launched the company. Um, and then, you know, it, it's like any company origin story. We had to get our first two clients. We had to learn about pricing. We had to learn how to deliver the service, hire a team, train them, see if it works for people. Is there a profit margin? And then, uh, a long story short, we've been running the company for about five years now. And as you said, about uh, 40 people working for us, about 100 clients or so, and, and, and growing nicely. So wow. that's the medium-long version of the story, but that, that's pretty much okay. the origin. And we're caught up. No, I love it. That is great. Um, email it is very personal. and I, I know it says that on your, your website. So for someone like me or a listener that's used to the idea of inbox done or used to 
um, sorry, inbox zero, or is used to like having an EA or a VA, you know, kind of come in and, you know, monitor the inbox more or less or take on certain tasks. But for you, it, it sounds like it was a full departure from your day to day. You're just not looking at it at all. So my, my first question is why not just delegate some of those, some of those items. And, you know, this is really getting to what systems do you have in place to, you know, explain or provide more info if it's required? Because for me today, I know if I asked my EA to jump in and run my inbox and take all those sales emails and what's coming in and inquiries, there's going to be a point where they're going to have to come back to me and break it down. So are, are there not instances where in some cases, it's more efficient or it's faster for you to look at certain things. How do you make that differentiation and, and what does it look like behind the scenes when it comes to training? Yeah, you're really covering a, a nuance there. So it's funny. I have bumped into many people who are capable of getting to inbox zero by themselves. You sound possibly like someone who's, you know, uh, yeah. organized and, and motivated enough and, you know, using tools like superhuman or other apps that you can help to speed up the process. The strange thing is when I did the initial, for me personally, outsourcing email, it never was a question of, I want someone to maybe just manage and flag things for me, but I'd still be the main person replying. I, I knew my time mm -hmm. was being sucked up by okay. writing emails. So for me from day one, it was like, I got to hand over, not just organizing. Uh, it's as many of the emails that I write need to be written by someone else. Now, I didn't know how many of those emails realistically could be written by someone else. Um, and like you said, uh, I expected, what, 5%, 10%, 20%, 30% would still be me answering them. I didn't know how many. So I went through the process with that first company I had. And what happened is, over time, my assistant would you know, start with, like it's called layer one, uh, all of the easiest emails that we know I'm not needed. And then once that's comfortable and I felt comfortable with her doing it, then I looked at some of the other ones that I was dealing with and we could start to build a, a system. It could be some templates to start with. Part of it though was her spending enough time seeing how I was replying in the past, maybe giving her a bit of feedback, you know, in real time but gaining the confidence to know how my business worked and how you know email and my role was so that they could then write those responses. It's delegating responsibility too. Once I started to trust her to deal with the basics, I was more confident to say, you know, if a decision is worth under $500, you don't have to come back to me to get approval. So if you need to issue a refund, if you need to you know, make a pitch for a special offer, and it's under this kind of price point, don't come back to me and ask. You can do that without me. Um, so those mm -hmm. kind of situations could happen. You delegate more responsibility. Uh, and then, of course, I'm monitoring. I'm, I'm seeing how she responds. And I, I might give some feedback and say, you know, I would have done it this way. Uh, or I might go, you know what? You did that better than I would have done it. Actually, that's actually smarter than me. Because, you know, one thing about doing a job, and especially when you're focused on it, you get better at it. And I wasn't focused on just email. I was doing everything. When my yeah. assistant was just doing email, they were able to kind of really dedicate the time to craft more lengthy and detailed emails than I did because I was in a hurry. Often, you know, you'd write one sentence replies. So they get better at the job over time than you can. Um, fast forward to sort of today where Inbox done, we have an entire system around this. You ask a good, good question. So our client base is... Thank you. <laughs> 
Um, our client base is very diverse and there's not going to be like a one size fits all. So what we do is when we onboard, we set the expectation of this is how our process works. And I won't dive into the entire thing because we might be telling you 15 minutes of how our company works. But basically, we're going through a handover process where we're attempting to gather as much information and knowledge about how you write, who you reply to, what your company does, all these situations, so that hopefully 70%, 80% from the first 30 days of your email can be taken over. So we can take 80% off your plate, let's say roughly, which is already a a big amount of email to actually be replying to for you. A lot of that's low-level stuff. Software needs updating. How do I find this download? what what product or service do you sell to solve this problem? Um, take a newsletter and put it somewhere, you know, send this to the bookkeeper, all those kind of everyday routine tasks that might be needed, issue an invoice, uh, update task management software, Asana, something like that. So that stuff can be handed over. But then you get the more nuanced questions that start coming in, like, you know, does this product solve this problem? And you have to really know the insides of the product to to know that. Initially, maybe we can't answer that, but once we've seen the answer a few times, maybe we go through the product ourselves. I mean, when I say that, I mean the assistants. Then they start to get that nuanced understanding. So 80% becomes 85% or maybe 90%. Now, some of our clients, they always have 5 or 10% that because of their unique knowledge or unique relationships with people they communicate with, they will always be responsible for those emails. And they might go and process them once a week, you know, some of them probably even still do it once a day, but it's 10 minutes instead of three to four hours of doing email. So it's a big improvement. Um, wow. On the flip side, though, we have some uh, clients who come to us. I remember one in particular. He said, I don't want to go in my inbox ever again. So I want out completely. Now, he still has okay. things in the inbox that he needs to reply to and needs to know. So what we do is a, we do the usual service to take as much of the email off his plate as possible. Then when we get down to that last 5 to 10% uh, and certain things, we will communicate through Slack. So if there's a question that we just simply can't answer, it's brand new, never seen it before, it's very complex, whatever the case may be. Uh, maybe there's a prior relationship and we don't know if this person's relationship is real or it's a spammer. You know, We'll go and ask the client, hey, this just came in. You know, is this legitimate or how do you want us to answer it? So we'll just take a, an answer from Slack and then reply. But the good thing is that gets put into a knowledge base. That situation gets understood. So in the future, if it happens again, we don't need to come back and ask that question again. So the system gets better. Um, for other things like take, for example, uh, content. A lot of people get newsletters, reports, information in their inbox, and they don't want to skip that. It's how they stay up to date with their industry, um, how they you know, maintain relationships. So often we'll curate content and then deliver it in like a, a one-week summary. Here's a document you can just you know, go through in one big session rather than reading a bunch of emails all over the place. So we can tailor it basically to how a person works. Um, some people will never leave the inbox. They will always feel they need to be in there answering 5%. Some never want to go in there. Me personally, I do it about once a month. I'll go into my folder and there's usually five or 10 emails accumulated from the month. Um, however, this is important. If an urgent email comes in that does require my specific attention because maybe it's like a really important investor or partner or something that only I can deal with, I will get a message and says, hey, yeah, this email does look like it needs your urgent attention. 
it's an opportunity that, you know, only you can respond to and it might go away if you don't get to it in a month. <laughs> so, you know, mm -hmm. deal with it now. So in that case, I'm always told about what's super important and I can deal with it. We actually call this triage. We go through a, a process at the very start about learning about a client where we triage prioritization of emails so that we can inform our clients of what's really important to them as soon as it enters the inbox, but also know what's really not important and deal with that, you know, ourselves. So I think that answers the question, uh, <laughs> hopefully. It, it definitely, definitely does answer the question. And, uh, and I'm just typing away so many more questions that are coming up. I'm <laughs> loving where this conversation is going. So thanks for providing some, some more information and context. But um, for me, like, I want to ask a question of you in a minute, but for me, like, like I said, I love inbox zero. I, I get this just like rush when I like finish the day. Mm -hmm. I know my Asana inbox is clear. All my messages are responded to in Slack and my email is empty. So there's something rewarding about checking them off. And for me, like I love deleting emails. I love just like get out of here. If I can filter something out yep. or unsubscribe or something, I will. I love that stuff. Yes, I am. And like um, a, a long time ago, I read Tim Ferriss's uh, four, was it four hour work week or four? Yeah, I think it was four hour work week. And, you know, um, he said that he only checks his email like once or twice a day. My email's like open. I'm not looking at it all the time, but like I, I will want to, if a, if a mail, if an email comes in, I'm the guy that wants to jump in there, take a look at it and do one of four things. I have a, a, a time management framework that I use inside of, of Asana, our, our work management tool, where it's either something I need to do, something I need to defer, something I need to delegate or something I need to delete. So I'm doing that like internal triage in my head. And I have a pretty good system that works for me. If it's something I need to do, it's forwarded to Asana. If it's something I need to delegate, it's forwarded to that person. Defer is also an Asana and then delete. Obviously we're just getting rid of that. And so that works for me. And so for me, like I'm hearing what you're saying and I love it and I want to give it a try. And I actually <laughs> have an opportunity to do that. So I would like for you to give me a crash course in, in you know, just getting this set up, you know, really quickly. Cause at the time of this recording, um, I'm going on vacation tomorrow to a sunny destination. And I told my team, I'm not going to be reachable. If something is on fire, you can text message me, but I'm going to be off of email, off of Slack, off of Asana. So I'm meeting with my EA in the morning and uh, I'm going <laughs> to just walk her through, you know, what my email is going to look like, what I need okay. uh, her to do. So what advice could you give to me or the listener who wants to get started with something like this right away? And they already have that assistance on their team, or maybe if they're thinking about, you know, um, calling you up, what, what, what should I be considering at, at, at this stage in the game? Well, well, first thing, don't do it the day before you're about to leave. <laughs> that would be my sure. first piece of advice. <laughs> um, Cause yeah. you know, you do need a month at least to sort of hand over email. Um, maybe in your case, Marky, your team is already, embedded in your company and they know a lot of the outside processes that do integrate with email they're not necessarily replying to emails but right. they're entering software you know asana for example so they have part of your system understood but they probably don't feel confident enough to reply to your emails at least not every single one yet without going through a handover process uh, which is somewhat monitored by you um Plus, I don't know internally with your with your team whether you've actually trained them on a lot of this. Like, it sounds like you've got some amazing systems already in place that you operate. But if you took your EA and put them in your seat to do all that, they might be like, 
why does this, where did that email go? It just disappeared, you know, it was automatically triggered. So if you haven't taken them through that process to understand the system, then obviously, you know, that's going to be a challenge for them. For us, we take the system, like our assistants will take the system that our company integrates and apply it to you or, you know, to a client. So we're the ones building the system for you. We're not, I mean, we would, in your case in particular, like your unique uh, example, we would look at what you do and how you do it. And then we'd, with your input, decide, okay, how much of this are we taking over? How much of this are we perhaps adapting to our system? What do we keep? What do we discard? And, you know, go from there. Most of our clients don't have what you have. They just have a very full inbox and we have to roll out a system from scratch. And then we, we do the month long kind of handover process. And then they can go on holiday feeling confident that, you know, their email is going to be right taken on. care of. Um, one thing to note, like all the, the, and this is, I think is important for anyone listening who's like you, who has a great system going already and gets a sense of fulfillment from implementing it. Like, I totally agree with you. Um, I often have email open. Certainly it goes to my phone, but the difference is I don't, I'm not responsible for it. So I still like to see it because I get like most uh, founders, owners of businesses, I still get a rush from you know, a sale notification or a potential new client yeah. signing up. So I want to see those things because it's fun and it's part of my business. Yeah. Um, and it might be really like, you know, I'm the one who often does sales calls for, for inbox done. So I love seeing a new booking. So I like to see that email and know right. it's there. It's exciting. Yeah. I don't process it. My team will process it. It'll put it in the calendar for me. They'll drop the notes in Slack. So I know what that meeting is about and who it is and, and so on. And away you go. But it's still for me to see. So you can stay connected, but your responsibility of doing the job, replying to the email, collecting the information is not yours. So what I suggest to someone like you and, and anyone listening who's like yourself, imagine what it would be like if you, or more importantly, how would you choose to use your time if you weren't the one uh, doing these steps to, you know, it's a yeah. great system you built, but you weren't the one executing it. Um, mm-hmm. Now that for everyone is different. Some people like, Maybe you always want the rush of being the person who replies to the emails and, and keeps things organized. Or maybe you're like me, you want to still see things but not be responsible for them, in which case we can duplicate Marquee. Marquee system could be implemented by assistants. And then Marquee can go on holiday, certainly without worrying about things. But you get whatever number of hours. I don't know how long it takes you each day. You know, Even let's say conservatively, it's an hour a- across your day where you're dealing with this. If we can take that hour and, and turn it into 10 minutes or even zero, maybe, you know, five minutes um, every second day or third day, what do you do with the hour? Now, for you, maybe that's write a book or, you know, launch a new product or um, it could be anything. Mm-hmm. Some people just want more time with family. Uh, maybe they want to travel, exercise at the gym, whatever your your goals are, getting an extra hour or two. Most of our clients are getting about two hours a day back as a kind of base level. Some are three or four, the ones who have you know a lot of email. Um, and that to them, it's an opportunity cost. That's a lot they, of time. That's a lot of time. Is. Yeah. And it's a huge, yeah. uh, like the potential productivity you get from gaining an hour or two back. It can be massive change to your life. You know, it, it could literally mm-hmm. save a marriage or, you know, get in training shape, whatever it is that's important, or it could be just grow the business and do the creative tasks you've always wanted to do, but you can't because you're in your email. So right. that's the way I look at this. It's an opportunity cost decision. It's actually, you're one of the hardest people to make this choice though, because you're not in pain. 
because of your email. Um, a lot of our clients come to us in a form of pain, like it's overwhelming. They feel like they're missing things. Um, there's opportunity costs because something in the email could be very important. They don't know about it. They're super stressed because mm. it feels like it's their responsibility and they're not on top of it. You're the other way around. You get a thrill out of it. You're having fun with it. So handing over would actually be like, oh, I'm missing some of that fun, but you have to find new fun. <laughs> That's, you know, growth yeah. activities. So, And on that, yeah. I mean, the amount of calls that I'm on where I, I we're sharing screen with a prospect or a client and I just, I see their inbox and it's got like 3,700 some odd emails yeah. and they're like all unread. And I'm like, what is happening? Like, how do you do you this? Why, yeah. why can't you just delete it? Like it just doesn't make any sense to me. Yaro, I'm, uh, I'm sensing a partnership here because I know that a lot of our customers could definitely benefit from what you offer um, as far as getting help and, you know, um, resources and understanding like the importance of what they can do, you know, by handing over these tasks. What, what could you do with that one or two extra hours? I know for me, that's going for a walk with my dog. That's working out. That's writing a blog post. That's doing a YouTube video. That's having a nap. That's actually like cooking lunch in the middle of the day, right? Like there's so much we can do with that time. That's signing off an hour early when my kids get home from school and just like hanging out with them. That's so much time you can do. Um, So much you can do with that time. Sorry. I want to ask something you said earlier. You you mentioned that when you are responding or getting set up with a with a customer, you have a knowledge base where you hold all that type of information. What does that look like exactly? What what tool is that in, and um, how often are you reviewing that, um, or is, are the assistants reviewing that to make sure that they're staying true to tone and you know um, brand and and all those kinds of things? Yeah. So. We, we have a handover process. I keep kind of referring to it. So we actually call yeah. it that. It's the handover process within our company. And the first two weeks of that is building knowledge base 101. And part of that is learning about you. A lot of the time is spent in your sent folder studying how you reply, what's your communication style. Um, part of this is you know just learning to be like you. Um, we're not going to pretend to be you most for most clients. We're added as assistants and then we apply, reply as us. So it's you know Jane from your company or Tim from your company. But they, they definitely want to be within the cultural tone that you set um, within your company. So part of that is just learning. Uh, but the actual knowledge base part is it's quite simple, actually. So we do often use a, a tool called Yesware. Um, it just adds more functionality around templates and reminders. And, uh, you know, you get you, you don't necessarily need it. Like you can just go straight into Outlook and Gmail and and use the built in tools. But Yesware just does a better job of, of that. And there are lots of other tools, too. Like we have some clients who do use Superhuman or, you know, do use some of the like, mm. tools like Front or something like that. And we don't necessarily we don't need those tools. We can continue to work with them if you already do. The knowledge base part of this, though, is often very simple. It's Google Docs. Um, sometimes okay. it can be more robust than that, but often it's just here's a, a doc that's like like an SOP, you know, a standard operating procedure that explains what to do when a situation arises. So, uh, like mm-hmm. most people or most companies, when an, a certain type of email arrives, it triggers processes in your business. And it's amazing when your assistant who is doing your email can also do those processes. So when we go through the handover phase, we're not just looking at the email itself and how you reply to it. 
we look at that and obviously we we you know document that and create the template if if needed but we then look at what gets triggered so something simple that uh, you know well could be like uh, a task is created in asana that is just a routine task let's take for example onboarding a new client so email comes in new client signed up welcome email needs to be sent back that's all done by your assistant but there's also other things that need to happen a set of tasks are triggered in uh, Asana or a task management tool. So your assistant goes in and creates those. Um, maybe there's some other team members that need to be notified. It could be simple like uh, an accountant or a bookkeeper to issue an invoice or some kind of document. Legal for contracts, uh, maybe just getting the documents and sending them. Uh, could be updating some other software, CRM tools, uh, something unique to your company. Uh, it could be just a collection of data needs to be pulled together and then sent back. So anything like that that needs to be done, that's just documented as you would expect. Step one, do this. Step two, do this. Here's the template to send. Here's the data to enter. Um, more often than not, it doesn't get any more complicated than that. It's just a series of those kind of processes that we know this is what to do when this situation is triggered by an email. Um, every company is different, though. Obviously, what a car salesman deals with in email versus what a venture capitalist or a lawyer or we've had a rabbi, for example, as a client. Email itself is and how we live with email is quite similar. Um, we all get kind of like the similar types of emails, but the industry is different. So you know, systems are customized to a person's industry, but we're basically taking what already goes on in your inbox and documenting it. More often than not, the person who's running their email just does this from their brain. They know, okay, I have to do this. When this email comes in, I do it. So what we do is we step in and say, okay, so when this happens, what what do you actually do? Well, I do this, this, and this. Okay, we'll just go do all that. We'll document it. And then now we never have to ask you how to do it. There's a system in place which is also great if there's ever a rotation of staff because they don't have to go and ask you again how to do something. It's all documented. So that's you know kind of what the knowledge base is. Some people, it's bigger than others. Um, I know in, in my coaching business I have, we had about 100 templates for all the different customer scenarios, but that built up over a number of years. You know, it, It's not just we build a knowledge base and stop. It's a living and breathing document that grows the longer you know you work with us and the more situations we deal with. Hey everyone, it's me, Marquis. I just wanted to take a minute to tell you a bit more about Ditto. If you've been listening to In Systems We Trust for a while, you've heard firsthand accounts of how systems and workflows change the landscape of work for businesses and leaders across the globe. Ever felt like there just aren't enough hours in the day? Is your startup starting to grow and scale and you're wondering how your systems will scale with it? Maybe you're part of a widespread multi-level corporation that needs to update and overhaul its standard operating procedures. Well, if you can relate, Ditto can help. Eliminate team burnout, keep your best talent, and have a clear system in place to help you and your business achieve your goals. Visit thinkditto.com to learn more. How do you, it sounds like you've a, you have a really tight um, process and obviously it's working for you. You've been at this quite a long time, but I'm curious for the, the owners listening right now, they're like, oh, I don't know, this sounds great, but you know, they have trust issues or they don't feel like they can fully separate themselves. How do you build the trust and the confidence needed for the business owners to let go of that admin in the day-to-day? And on the flip side of that, like, what do your non-good fit clients look like? What are those signs that you can see earlier on that if not addressed, can lead for a bad engagement 
a relationship between your customer and inbox done? Yeah, I appreciate your nuanced questions, Marky. I don't often get them on podcasts. So this is very fun. Um, so <laughs> the, um, the second question there, the who's a, a bad fit, uh, the very mm-hmm. obvious, but un- thankfully very rare situation is, is someone who wants to let go, but they can't. Um, mm-hmm. This is just really a, a mindset issue. If, if you are, and, you know, I don't want to say you're like this, Marquis, but if you are addicted to your email or you just can't sure. feel comfortable without seeing and being the person to reply to everything. And we have had, I, I can remember one uh, in our maybe second year of running the business, we had a person sign up. They seemed like a great fit. They started doing the onboarding with us. And by the time we reached the point where we were writing emails for them, they were like, stop, I just can't let go of this process. It's too painful for me. I feel like I'm out of control. So they were really? not the right fit. Um, very rare though, because most people who come to us are more like the example you gave before. I got 3000 emails in there. It's not that I really want to be the one to answer them. It's just, I never do. <laughs> so I need someone else to get on top of this for me. Um, sure. the other thing that's not a good fit too, is obviously you your budget, you know, you need to have a, a business of a certain size where you're spending, you know, 2000 a month to, to hire a couple of assistants from us that are going to do this job. Mm-hmm. And, and it is too, we do give two assistants to every client and that needs to make sense to you in terms of your budget, your ROI does getting two, two hours, three hours back a day. Is it worth it for that money? Is it worth it for the mental freedom? Um, you know, yes. smaller yes. businesses. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> for most people it is financially, it has to be too. Um, Sure. You know, we've had some businesses where they say, I, I want to get this done, but for $500 a month. And uh, it's difficult with email unless you have a very small amount of email. And even then I would be suggesting, you know, you, you, you train yourself, you hire a VA and maybe, you know, train them over time yourself. It's not going to be ideal, but you're just, you know, you got to grow your company up to the point where you can start hiring more people. And, and that's a stepping stone process. But most people come to us, money's not the issue. Time is the issue. Mm-hmm. Mental energy is the issue. So this is a, an easy financial decision, an easy mindset choice. And then they go through yeah. um, uh, the process. Um, what was your first question that number- as part of that though? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I asked a lot um, yeah. <laughs> within there, but you know, it, it's really just how do you build, you know, trust and confidence trust, needed so right. that the business owner feels good um, handing it over. Yeah, that's an important one. So um, I felt this from day one too. I was like, I'm not sure someone else can write the emails as good as me. And what if they, you know, make a mistake and I lose my customers and all these kind of fears come up? Um, the way we deal with that, I'll start with the obvious our hiring and training process is about bringing in the right kind of people for this role. You know, it's attention to detail. It's English as a first language. It's emotional empathy. It's accountability. It's the willingness to grow and and stay with the the clients they have. Um, It's not a perfect science, but we certainly do a lot to keep away the people who, you know, might be more, you just can't trust them. They're not reliable. You know, our, our hiring process is very, very, uh, careful about that. Um, Claire, my co-founder, has spent years now hiring. Like that's her basically her day job is hiring and training, and you know does a lot of work. Okay. We even have a course internally that we put the most successful hires through, and um, before they graduate to actually work on a client. So that's kind of like phase one, getting the great needle in the haystack people, and that's why our company exists. Let's say most companies or most people don't want to do this themselves. They don't want to go hire and train. So we provide people who are ready to go and we provide a system for them to implement. So you get that. Um, You know, we have some basic things around security and privacy, uh, terms of service, NDA, uh, VPN, 
So all of uh, the inbox managers do use a VPN to access their clients' computers. Little extra technical security there. Um, we can sign an NDA if uh, a client has a specific one, which sometimes happens in more financial legal situations with certain clients. Not common though. Yep. Um, and of course, the handover process itself, I think, is the biggest trust building process and important to go through for everyone. You know, the the inbox managers, the assistants need to get gain the confidence of understanding you, your email, your company to write these emails. And that's not going to happen in day one. That's why I said for you to do this tomorrow, it's it's not going to probably work. You need the time to build that confidence. Yeah. And you as a client need to also trust them. So we have um, usually around week three of the handover process when we do the really, um, it, it's the most fun part, I call it, but it's the, the, the real learning part is when we actually start writing replies. So we spend two weeks doing the knowledge base and the learning, but the three weeks, and these are rough timeframes, but the three week point is when your assistants are ready to start replying to your emails. But what they do is they write drafts first and they ask you to review the drafts and give feedback and changes and then send the email themselves. And you'll keep doing this for as long as it takes to reach the point where you will come back and say, your drafts are great. You can start sending these without meaning to approve them. Now, I went through that and I reached the point where I said, you can start sending these without me. But of course, I still went into the sent folder every day for a good month after that, just to make sure I was happy with how the person was replying. You know, it was like a <laughs> me letting go process, right? Like, okay, I yeah. see what you're doing. Yeah. And sure, there, uh, you know, like I said, humans are not perfect. I'm probably going to pick up one or two or three emails. And I said, you know what? I liked your email here, but you forgot to mention this, or you probably should have said it this way. Mm. So I, I continued to provide a little training and, and insight as time went by. But by the time we hit month three, I, I didn't even do that. I stopped looking because I realized, uh, you know, I was micromanaging. They were getting better and better. Mm. Um, they started doing replies that were better than mine. And when I, when I saw that for the first time, I was like, okay, you know, the, the, the apprentice has surpassed the master. I don't need to do anything here anymore and, and let them actually do that job. So we hope to get to that point with every client and they feel that sense of confidence like I said, nothing's perfect. There's there's always going to be communication errors. There's going to be expectations that are not clearly defined. And then, you know, you have these issues. So we always emphasize expectation management, clear communication, being very upfront during the handover process about everything that's important to you, where things could go wrong. You know, all these things happen um, during handover. And that usually solves most problems. But I, I will say from also going through this process with the goal to hand over really important things like I wanted eventually in my coaching business to hand over access to my PayPal account and to my mm -hmm. uh, uh, transaction management software, which meant they basically controlled my money with my business. That's another yeah. layer of trust that you're like, okay, you know, but to get there, if you do get there, then you've kind of outsourced everything. This person now can not just handle email the day to day, they could do uh, upgrades, refunds, special packages. You know, deal wow. with money situations, um, purchase things for me, buy trips, buy uh, software services. You know, uh, even simple things like we have to renew domain names. I don't have to be the one to go in there and enter my credit card. They can do that, and that requires a financial level of trust. My advice for that is don't do that from day one. I would you know go through a handover process, get comfortable with the email other processes that are not so financially um, uh, you know, risky, 
And then mm -hmm. the trust builds up over time and you can say, hey, I'm now willing to let's let's look at you doing PayPal as well. Obviously, you can put safeguards in place. You can you know go as far as you want with this. You don't have to do that. But my goal was absolute freedom. So that meant getting rid of the financial uh, last minute things there that you have to do as well. Um, and, you know, mm -hmm. it worked. And so far in about 16, 17 years of having other people handle my email, I have yet to have anyone steal from me as far as I know in when I give them access to my financial information. And of course, you know, we're doing our best to bring in good people. And if we know if someone we hire does that, it's bad for everyone. So we're doing our best to try and avoid those kind of people as well. Interesting. Thank you so much for that. Um, I have one more question that is related to this. And then I want to um, change directions a little bit and talk more about about you, really. Um, but the, the first one is, is do you or have you ever listened to the startup podcast by Gimlet Media? Yes, I went through the whole thing. I love yes. it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's fantastic. And so you probably heard this one. There was a, a, a pretty lengthy series on a startup called Dating Ring, datingring.com. They're basically virtual matchmakers. Have you have you listened to it? I, You know what? I finished their initial story about obviously Gimlet Media's creation, and then I started listening okay. to that. I don't think I finished their full story arc, though. Got it. Okay. It's definitely worth it. I mean, spoiler alert, they didn't make it and they they folded the company. They went bankrupt. But um, they talk about this problem. And what they were trying to do was take the dating, online dating experience to the next level. So instead of just sending people off and to create their profile and manage it by a series of swipes, you know, they were taking it to the next level by assigning a, a, a virtual matchmaker to an account so you'd come in and there would be this handoff process and there it's like you're dating this person that works for the company and then they're going out and finding good matches and there was some tech behind it and algorithms but ultimately it was these people these real people in seats matching and pairing these people and the big problem that dating ring experienced with um was scale right like they couldn't keep up they had to keep hiring more and more matchmakers the process for actually finding matches you know started taking a lot longer and it was just costing them way too much and so it, it sounds like you have kind of addressed this in your business when it in regards to the handoff you have two vas that you're going to assign to a customer when they first get started, but how do you address scale, right? Like you bring on another customer and I'm assuming your VAs are working for your customers full time. Like what does the, the business look like behind the scenes and how do you keep it streamlined and primed to scale? Yeah. You know, as, as a founder, you're hitting on uh, an important question, especially yeah. if we were to get uh, investment like we're not venture backed in in any way we're bootstrapped 100 and we've we've talked about investment and and going down that path we always decide not to um, and and part of that reason is the issue of putting pressure on scale and i think you're you're, you're highlighting mm -hmm. a very important point um there's a lot of agency companies in the world that rely on human capital like you're referring to here and I think for a lot of them, if they go the venture back route, which really does put time pressure on getting to certain numbers and certain timeframes, leads mm -hmm. to things falling apart. In fact, there was a, a very high profile company in the virtual assistant space, you may have heard of it called Zirtual, um, that was venture backed, um, a lot of great press, a lot of scaling quite well, but obviously behind the scenes, a massive juggle between finding talent bringing on clients. Um, it's always like two sides of a marketplace. You're, you know, growing one at the other. So yeah. 
And they ended up having, uh, strangely, it was uh, not the reason I expected, but they had some payroll mismanagement by an uh, outsourced firm on the accounting side that uh, eventually led to them not having the the one-cycle payroll to cover their staff. Someone stepped in, mm-hmm. bought the company, and that company still runs and is is doing really well. It just had that that one hiccup, and but it's no longer venture backed. You know, it's still a private company. It's not like trying to rapidly grow and and get a lot of investors reach the next days of funding and IPO. Not that I don't think it's possible. There are some big players in the VA space, but more often than not, it it's not that kind of. It's a bootstrap business, and I will say from my perspective and my co-founder's perspective we much prefer the lack of stress of not needing to meet what investors might want from an outcome. So we've built this business around more so the most important things in the company to make it work, the people we hire and our clients. You know, it's that's what it's all about, those, those two groups and the relationship between them. Um, that being said, we have dealt with exactly what you're talking about. If we go through a growth spurt. In fact, you're catching us just as we signed up 10 new clients in the last two months, um, which I, which we call a growth spurt for our company. Now, that's amazing. But because of that, now whenever I'm doing calls to potential new clients, I'm telling them there's a four-week matching process. So that's basically the time frame it takes us to find the assistance from our internal company and match them. And that's just because we're doing all this matching. We're doing 10 clients worth of matching at once. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of uh, onboarding and, and internal work. Um, if there was a, a certain time pressures on that, it would break and there'd be you know bad matching. And we, we have to say we don't have enough people. So the way that's been successful for us is, I guess, a clear division in our team. Um, Claire, my co-founder, has always been on the operations and the hiring side. And she's just built a machine where we're constantly, like we get about, I, I always look at the email where I, it's not in our main inbox, but I see the emails come through that are applications for jobs. And every day there's got to be at least 10 to 20, sometimes even 30, 40, 50 people applying. Um, but it is needle in a haystack. Most of those people, they're not going to qualify for even round two of a hiring process. But there's enough going through there that we have a like a factory for hiring and training and, and finding that needle in the haystack. So we're constantly adding to our pool. Um, at the same time, we because we have, and this is one of the main reasons we do have the two assistant system, um, virtual staffing solutions are known for this problem of, of turnover. You know, you hire an assistant, yeah. you train them, and then they leave. And it's, I went yeah. through that many times, super frustrating. Me too. Yeah, so we solve this problem, or at least improve it a lot by having two assistants. Um, it helps too that we also are a higher price service because we want to pay our assistants well, so they are committed to their clients and, and our company. But with two assistants, if one has a holiday and needs a break, which they will, um, they you know people get sick, people go on holiday, the other one can yep. step in and take over the slack. So you don't have a break in service when there's holiday or time off. Same with turnover. If someone retires, moves to a different career, we can replace that person, but they get trained by the other assistant who's still there. So it's low impact on the client. We don't have to keep coming back to them and disrupt their service or ask them to retrain people. So that's worked really well for us. It also works because we can pair a more experienced assistant with perhaps a a newer to our company assistant um, which is good because you've got that layer of experience and then you've got someone who's upping their experience at the same time. So they're still all well-trained. They still all go through the entire process, but it allows us to have a, 
a really nice way to graduate and, and gain the confidence of having worked with you know several clients. So all that to say, though, it's not a machine that you can scale infinitely. If you came to us and said, I've got 100 clients for you, I would say we need to scale like stagger that over the entire year, probably, you know, and onboard them because we want to maintain quality. So it's it's not a rapid high growth company. And that's somewhat by choice. I'm sure we could go crazy if someone gave us $10 million and said, build a, a faster machine. We could, but that'd be very stressful for the team. And that's just not a choice, you know, we want to make right now. But um, it is Good an inherent problem. Yeah, good on you for knowing that, like knowing what the problems are, knowing what the limitations on the business are, because you want to keep that quality really, really high, because there are some agencies out there that will just throw anyone at you and you're paying your whatever every single month. And the problem that you, you know, just touched on about them leaving, you find that in those types of services, the turnover is higher. Right. The quality isn't really there and you're spending more of your time onboarding or redirecting or anything like that. So it, it sounds like you have uh, definitely found what works for you and it's working for your customers. As sort of, well. I, I will say as the marketing side of my business, I've always been like more and more clients, more and more clients. And of course, of my course. co-founders, I was like, right. no, we have a good pace right now. Let's just keep going the way we are. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I hate hearing that. I'm like, no, let's just go. Why are we going to stop? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Last question here for you. Or one of my last questions here is we're just closing things out. But um, earlier you said that, you know, you and your goal is actual freedom, right? So like, Anyone's goal is really to create more time, you know, for family, vacation, business growth, whatever it is. And when I started, you know, as an entrepreneur, that was my goal. And my why is really to help others, help other businesses, help other creatives, people like me, you know, live the life of freedom they started their businesses to achieve. Because we know what the other side of that can really look like when you think freedom is waiting for you, but really sleepless nights and stress and burnout. Is waiting for you. So my question is, how do you define freedom in your business? And what does that look like in your life? It's changed over time. Um, my freedom went through phases, you know, in my early 20s, it was getting enough money to survive, you know, pay your rent and, and have food. Yeah. And then it became, oh, let's have enough money to travel and, and make sure this business still functions when I do take a break. Um, that's a next level of freedom. And then as I've especially in the last maybe five, six, seven years, uh, I've benefited from 15 years of running these businesses. Uh, my coaching kind of business spun off quite a bit of cash flow. So I was able to save money, buy some assets. I sold that editing company I talk about back in the day. It helped me purchase my first house way back when I was in my 20s. Um, and even today with Inbox Done, you know, it's a similar story. We're, we're growing and uh, probably one day, you know, the company will, will be acquired or something like that will happen because we won't do this forever. Um, freedom, though, has always been first and foremost financial security. So, but I, I felt like for me, once I hit about 30, um, I felt, you know, not like billionaire rich, but I was like, okay, I've got a million dollars in the bank. Um, I've worked hard mm. to save up that money. Uh, when I say in the bank, I guess I should say more in, in assets. You know, I, I bought a house, I bought an investment sure. property I, and so on. Um, so I felt less stressed about money. So I was able to start making decisions, not just about how do I feed myself? And now it's like, well, what would I actually enjoy doing? Uh, at the time, and, and really this connects to the the point where I sold my essay editing company and I decided to become 
a full-time uh, blogger. This was about when I was tw- uh, 27 years old. Um, so I already spent seven years-ish running these various businesses and, and they were paying my bills, but I wasn't in love with a lot of what those companies did. Like I didn't care about essay editing. It was just a company I enjoyed. Um, when I got into writing a blog and and also doing podcasts like we were doing now and i didn't see this coming but i was like i actually really enjoy the creative outlet of having a place to have conversations like this and to write and and then that could become a business was like whoa this is amazing that was like the dawn of social media um i was able to sell courses and ebooks and and have an amazing lifestyle a nice and simple elegant business a small team i was you know micro influencer famous within my industry and i was able to travel the world sit in cafes and write blog posts so that was probably still is I would consider my peak and my pinnacle. Unfortunately, my ambitions grew beyond that too. And I wanted to do other companies and other things. So, you know, freedom is also related to ambition. Uh, Once you reach a certain level of freedom, then you want more as humans do. They want to challenge themselves and, you know, achieve more things. So I kind of coasted in a a very happy place, earning a great living, traveling the world for a good decade as a a coach, writer, uh, you know, selling courses and so on. Um, And then, Around the time um, I started in Box Done, or maybe just before that, I had uh, you know built up capital. I, I had made a bit of extra money from cryptocurrency, so I felt like I'd won gambling at the casino. Uh, that's when I started doing a bit more other things, and it was an interesting transition because in my mind, I'd always wanted uh, you know when I was much younger, I had that dream of being like a Richard Branson, where you're you do have that entrepreneurial drive but in many ways you just sit on top as owner of companies and other people really run these companies and they're doing a great job they're better at it than you you're a builder of companies and an owner of companies but not necessarily in there performing you know 12 hour days getting a burnout like you you referred to and that's when i started doing things like angel investing that's when i started inbox done which is a different business model to my coaching business. It was about building a team and having a co-founder and I'm just doing one small function doing the the marketing side. So it's not full-time hours by by any means. Um, I ended up building a solar farm in Ukraine where my father's side of the family is from. I, I visited there. Unfortunately, not great things happening there right now, but you know, that, that has, and I hope will continue to be, a, you know, a, a, a good investment in a, Uh, part of the world I can revisit at one point in the future. Um, And all those things were very different. So building solar farms, um, investing uh, in angel investing in all these other companies, which is really an interesting experience. I I thought you had to have hundreds of thousands of dollars invested in every company, but it turns out you can invest uh, into syndicates and put in $5,000 into a company or or, or 6,000 or 10,000. So I could actually invest in 10, 20, 30 companies without spending millions of dollars, which to me was a bit of a, a learning experience. Um, highly recommend Jason Kalkanis's This Week in Startups podcast and his syndicate. That's where I got, got introduced to this. And now about five years into it, it's been interesting to see, like this is really is kind of Richard Branson where you, yeah, you maybe you put $10,000 in this one company, but you kind of get a little insight into what they're doing. You don't run it. But there's a whole team of people working, and if they succeed, you succeed, which is like owning little little businesses. So I've really enjoyed oh, yeah. that type of investing as well. So now I feel definitely more of a mix. I have a company that's I'm a part of, and I'm excited to grow. But I'm not the face, and I'm not the one always running everything. We have a team. I still have my coaching business where I get to be the face, and I get to write and create content and be an educator. 
And then I've got these other sort of investments, whether it's property, angel investing, the solar farm that kind of, you know, run and are there. And, and that to me is another type of freedom. It's a freedom to, you know, build your empire, but enjoy whatever parts of that process you do. And, and then obviously, you know, you hope it continues and you hope things succeed. Obviously, you don't necessarily expect a war in Ukraine, but that sort of stuff can happen. So that's why I also like yeah. the diversity of this and not there's no one single point of failure. Uh, I had an investment in Ukraine. And that's a bit risky, but I bought property in Canada. And as you know, being in Canada, property in Canada has kind of gone through the roof in, in capital appreciation. So that was good yeah. timing. Um, so, you know, spread it around. But for me, the biggest kind of to turn this back to that original point about freedom I've always loved the simple idea of when you wake up in the morning, you choose how to spend your day. And that's that's what to me has mm -hmm. always been the definition of freedom. You know, if it is work hard in a company, sure. If it is travel the world, awesome. If it's a mix of all kinds of bunch of different things, which is kind of where I'm at now, I'm enjoying that um, without feeling pressure or stress or a lack of accomplishment, financial considerations, obviously health, super huge look after that. So that to me is is the real freedom. Wow. Music to my ears. <laughs> wow. We, uh, Yaro Starek inbox done.com. Thank you so much for being here today. I really wish we could, can, we could keep this going and keep talking because I feel like we're just scratching the surface, but where can people connect with you if they want to have a conversation or continue on with this one? Uh, well, obviously, you mentioned inbox done.com just for the email management side of things. So if you, you want help with that, me, uh, yaro.blog, Y-A-R-O dot B-L-O-G. That's where I still write. You can find my contact details there. Uh, my podcast is there as well. Um, and yeah, love to connect with anyone. And, and thank you, Marquis, for your, your very specific questions. I have to say, especially as it comes to this idea of handing over email, you've took me in places that we don't normally get to go in interviews. So I really do appreciate that. That's why we're here. That's why people stick around. Uh, thanks so much for sharing and being <laughs> open and taking my curveballs with stride. It was, uh, it was a really great conversation. Thanks so much, Yaro. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the In Systems We Trust podcast with Marquis Murray. If you liked what you heard today, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Don't forget to rate the episode and share it with a friend. Head over to thinkditto.com to learn more about how the team at Ditto can help your business scale by implementing the systems and processes needed to get you there.